Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I have the pleasure of being here. The famous Brooke, who just completely crushed reInvent and is doing all these amazing things. Thank you for taking the time to co-host with me. We are going to do an episode today on I am policy, and we've never done anything like this before. And it's so important authorization and like permissions in the cloud and everything. We've got two experts here today to help us as developers navigate this sea of just complexity when it comes to identity. So we've got Victor Moreno, who is a senior software engineer for AWS, and we've got Kevin Shanley, who's a principal for identity at AWS. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> All right, so let's start from the beginning. I am verified permissions. Let's just explain it to the audience, what this really is and why it's important. What's the difference between all of this stuff? When we look at these two services, uh, AWS IAM and Amazon Verified Permissions, uh, these are two services that are kind of targeting the same thing, but against different ecosystems. So AWS IAM, this is all things permission management, access control pertaining to these AWS services. Who has access to an S3 bucket? You know, who has read-write access? What are the levels of that? Um, likewise, Amazon Verified Permissions, this is permissions management or access control uh, for the applications that you as the customer build. Uh, so it has, we, you know, we tried to follow some of the same types of design constraints around some of these things. Uh, so there wouldn't be a completely different experience. But at the same time, uh, you know, we did need to change things. And we've learned some things over the past decade or so of AWS IAM to make an even better policy language and a stronger uh, service offering overall for authorization. Yeah, I think IAM and access, things like that, they're very important when you understand AWS, but I talk to a lot of beginners and newcomers and it's just not something people think about learning. I think they're not excited about it or they may be excited about doing something else and it's just sort of something they tack on along the way. If you, both Victor and Kevin, could give the call out to new people learning AWS, number one, why should they spend the time learning about this? And number two, where's the best place to start getting a really good understanding? Okay, well, I, I can jump in there. Uh, really, uh, well, we always go back to security is hard. Uh, we don't want developer developers rolling their own authorization solutions. Um, and this is exactly what developers have been doing for the past 50 years, right? We've seen a ton of bespoke authorization solutions over these years, binary authorization databases, um, kind of uh, uh, half-patched solutions that comprise of standards and homegrown components, uh, standards like Zacmol that is over 20 years old now. Uh, but really, most commonly, you know, uh, we've seen authorization put right into code. And when a developer is asked to create a function, uh, you know, they'll often be given requirements of, hey, uh, the users, maybe it's a, like a, a get user details function. Well, the user can, you know, access that function and maybe an administrator can access that function. Uh, and so they're, they're given some requirements around this and they just drop that authorization right in the code. Um, and while that did work for a long time, We've moved on to a different ecosystem now of an ecosystem of audit and compliance, where if you start putting in all sorts of complex authorization and code, 
this is extremely challenging to audit and mm-hmm. you can't meet high trust requirements, uh, SOC certification requirements, things that go into FedRAMP. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, we've really just kind of moved on from where that was. And if I can add a couple of things there, uh, yeah. another reason why you would want to learn this is depending on the ecosystem of, and the type of application that you're working on. If you're working on a one of the simplistic apps where basically every user lives in their own little world and they own their own pictures and there's nothing shared across users except maybe DMs, then perhaps the case is not as uh, strong. But then there's other use cases like LMSs, medical record applications, uh, legal documents, anytime, anytime that you have to do ad hoc resource sharing in your application between users, what you end up having to do is you have to model those uh, belonging relationships in your database. And that becomes very difficult. So that, that means that there's a bunch of use cases where you will basically have to potentially do thousands of database updates. Like whenever a user group gets deleted or a folder gets moved from belonging to one group to another group, anything like that will potentially trigger thousands of cascading database updates. And that's very difficult to manage. Whereas if you manage it with Amazon verified permissions, uh, it, you can do it, you can offload that complexity to us. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way to make a video about rolling your own auth once. And the best I could nice. come up with was like, it's like trying to build your own car. Like just because you can <laughs> doesn't mean you should. And even if you end up building something that looks like a car, it's functionally long term. In fact, not going to be a car very long or it will be a car for a little bit until it isn't. Um, I guess building on that, is there a reason that IAM is not enough on its own for the types of use cases that you're seeing in your customers? Well, IAM is designed primarily for uh, access controls on AWS resources. So there's like a a tight coupling between what IAM is and what it can control access over. So we needed like a more generic solution and that's where Cedar came in. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. are there any good inside facts on the origins of CEDA that either of you could share with us today? I love hearing like these like behind the scenes facts. It's what I spent all of reInvent yeah. trying to extract from people. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a funny thing. I mean, authorization as a service or this externalized authorization, this is something that it's not new. Uh, it's been around for decades, but it's actually never really caught on. And in fact, uh, you know, kind of a funny uh a side thing that's happening right now is Gartner uh, listed uh, authorization as a service as a top three uh, identity trend for this year. Uh, likewise, Cuppinger Cole, another analyst, uh, they've started now officially tracking this with a, an apart, uh, a full market uh, report uh, on, on the overall uh, market standing of the different services. So suddenly this stuff has become a lot more important. Uh, folks are really taking notice of, of, of these types of solutions. And you know, we, we were looking to kind of go back and disrupt what this uh, this market would look like. We started with the language. Uh, you know, going back to Cedar is, hey, you know, why do some of these solutions fail? Uh, and and you know, core reasons, they're not fast. They're too complex. They're full programming languages that allow you to make things go really slow. They have loops and recursion and all this stuff that if you actually execute this at runtime, it makes your app ridiculously slow. And, and you know, authorization is really uh, a performance uh, constrained. Like every millisecond it takes the service to make a decision is a millisecond someone's gonna sit on the other side just waiting, right? This, this, this is all additive in, in addition to your, your normal application response time. Uh, and so starting with Cedar, 
want to make a language that it's human readable. It's uh, not just human readable, but that it's structured in such a way that it's also amenable to machine parsing. Uh, just like I am, I mean, I am is called over a billion times per second uh, within AWS. It's an insane number. <laughs> insane yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and so we try to take some of those lessons learned from IAM and, and the policy language is there to make something even better. And so, you know, we, we took that created Cedar, uh, also released it as an SDK on, on the Rust language uh, and, and open sourced it because, hey, we want the world to use it. We want to, you know, we want developers in mass to start moving to this paradigm. It's much more supportable and it's really moving to a much more cloud centric methodology, which is, I think, why this is becoming such a hot trend. Before we, we looked at these large monolithic applications that would run on-prem. And when you move to the cloud, what do you start doing? You start breaking it up into microservices architectures. So you start distributing all your development all over the place. But at the same time, we still want to centralize authorization. We want to centralize those logs. We want to have centralized control over all these resources. So my first exposure to IM was when I was the chief evangelist for Alexa. And we were doing Lambda and I'm installing the AWS SDK and I'm like, wow, what is this IM stuff? Right. And permissions were huge in AWS for somebody who wasn't exposed to it at first is understanding what the policies actually are and what the roles actually are and how that integrates with everything. Can you talk to the audience that maybe you know, they've had a little exposure to IAM. They've set up some roles. Maybe they're just pulling like DynamoDB and some S3 buckets. How does that integrate with API Gateway and Lambda and everything else that we have going on inside all of the services that are available? Sure. Um, so basically, IAM controls uh, who can perform what operation on each of those resources, right? So who can perform put object on S3 bucket? Who, who can perform uh, even within a particular for folder. Who can perform describe instances, API call, and all these things? Uh, so it's controlling AWS resources. There's a rich kind of like, a, and it keeps getting richer uh, conditions language uh, where you can say depending on a particular tag or this or that. Uh, it's all JSON based as well. And then the problem that we were trying to solve with Cedar and with Amazon Verified Permissions is to generalize that to all your resources in your application. So like if you're working on a medical records application, there might be a case. So you have these entities in your application like case or medical provider or patient. And um, Cedar can allow you to um, define access controls on those resources. It basically says which principle can perform which action on which resource. And it does this in a declarative manner, which I think is very important. Uh, it, it connects to something that, that Kevin mentioned a little while ago about other attempts at doing authorization as a service and why they haven't uh, taken off. It's because you're basically moving that same imperative code to somewhere else, and it's still not analyzable. It's still not auditable. And that's one of the things that excites us a lot about AVP is the fact that we have this declarative language that has the potential for a much higher degree of automated reasoning and auditability than anything that's been built before. Yeah. So you're talking about Amazon verified permissions being very declarative, but I've also heard people call CEDA policy language expressive. Is there something that you could explain to the listeners about what makes it more declarative or expressive or why it's both or why it's neither, just so we can sort out these key terms? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think uh, expressive refers to the fact that that it's rich and there's a lot that you can do with it, right? And that there's different ways perhaps to express uh, the, the, the same idea and then you have your opinions about how, how to best do it. Um, and declarative, uh, it means that I guess I look at it. I'm not a. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher this because I'm not a programming language expert, which is why we bought a whole lab of uh, brought a whole lab of programming language experts to the team. Um, I look at declarative as kind of like the the counterpoint of imperative. Imperative is where you have to reason a lot to kind of think about what this code is actually going to do, and declarative is where you see uh, in in the code structure it, it's telling you what it's going to do. So like. SQL is a more declarative language, and then like a bunch of for loops and if statements inside is more imperative. You have to kind of like reason through what it's going to do and uh, unravel that in your mind. Um, so Cedar is declarative because of that, because it allows you to express a lot of permissions just in a very straightforward, you know, principal action uh, resource manner. Yeah, I think um, an, an interesting uh, addition to that, you can't just look at any language and say, oh, it's expressive. You know, any programming language is, is expressive. Uh, you look need to look at that sort of juncture of, oh, it's expressive, but at the same time, it's also high performant because performance with an authorization is such a key construct. Um, and so likewise, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, how this language has been set up, uh, the, the designers were very deterministic in what sorts of structures they would put in there, what you can support from the context of like a hierarchy. Like if you're going through a photo album and you have uh, you know photo album being like a, a parent and having photos be child right. objects, how you can traverse that hierarchy, what you allow, do you allow a set or do you allow something else like a map objects? So uh, really looking at like what those different types of structures are, what's the highest performing, what's the most deterministic, what what can actually you know be uh, analyzable by a machine as well with, with the Daphne engine. Um, which is yet kind of the third attribute of being uh, properly machine analyzable, um, where you can throw like a discrete number of variables at a policy and say, you know, you know from the theoretical point of view, this is uh, this policy is doing exactly what I want it to do, uh, which makes this policy language very different from all others. Can you talk a little bit about bulk authorization and the improved schema editing? Sure thing. Uh, so bulk authorization, we literally just released a, a week or two ago. Um, nice. It enables all new use cases. And so when when uh, Verified Permissions first launched, uh, it launched with kind of a simple API of you, you call is authorized. Uh, and it'll give you, you know, an allow or deny response. Yes, you're authorized, you're not. You're not. Well, you can start to think of a couple of use cases where this starts to fall apart. If I'm drawing a UI, and I want to show only links that a person can click. You know, this could be a paginated list of like 10 different uh, things or 30 different things. Um, then you need to make 10 or 30 different uh, authorization calls, all of which are going to take a long time and actually cost you more money. So we added uh, a batch is authorized call that allows you to do all those authorization authorizations right at the same time, uh, get a single compound response. Uh, so now you can draw UIs based on you know what a user is authorized to access. And it also enables some cool use cases of compound authorization. If you think about something like, hey, I want to read from one bucket and write to another. Well, that's actually two different activities. I need, I need to have read access and I need to have write access to these things. Well, now with a batch authorization, you can actually then authorize both parts of it. So then before you even start doing it, you, know, you can stop them or, or allow it to proceed. Love and it. And further, I have a... For the schema. I'll, I'll add that link. 
I'll add that link. I just saw the, uh, I see it in the docs right now. I'll make sure I add that for the audience. And go ahead, Victor. I, I love yeah, your so For the schema editor, uh, basically Cedar allows you to, and this is one of the other cool things that it has, it allows you to define what's called a schema, where you basically inform AVP of, here's all the types that exist in my application. I have users, I have user groups, a user group called admin, I have, uh, you know, create program, delete program, upgrade program, these are my actions. And then I have, like, I, I have programs, memberships, enrollments, like these are the entities of my application, for example. So you have, uh, I, and you use the schema to define all of that. Then what the schema, one of the things that it allows you to do is when you're authoring policies, it helps you by telling you, hey, look, like you're writing this policy where you're saying that you're going to allow something if principal, that email is whatever, but actually principal doesn't have an attribute called email. It's email with a capital E. So like it can help you author policies. And um, the, the the way to define this data structure in the source code, le source code level is with JSON. And we built this visual builder, which I'm pretty excited about because... We're trying to um, a slightly different pattern. Most of the time, when people build tools like a visual JSON design tool, what they do is they basically try to do the visualization and editing in one shot. So you, you have like this big diagram, and you click a thing in there, and then you edit it, and it kind of gets cluttered. So like what we did that's a little bit different, we're trying it out. Um, is we have the visualization up on top, so you have a condensed diagram that shows you your schema and then in the bottom you have like a table where you can browse and edit various little pieces of it so we kind of like have a visual experience but also like a tabular experience uh rolled into it so we're trying a new pattern uh it's a brand new field so that there's opportunity to try new ux patterns that, that haven't been necessarily tried before yeah what's the name of the user interfaces the tabular one and the other user interface so people can go digging for it in the console. Yeah, so if you're in the AVP console, you just click on schema, like probably creating a, a sample policy store is your best bet, and then go and click on schema, and then you have like a diagram showing your actions or a different diagram showing your entities, and then like a, a table below showing the, the entities you can filter by name, and then you can edit each one. Yeah, no, that sounds incredible. Uh, do you have any best practices you'd recommend for organizing and structuring all of these policies and permissions for developers as their applications grow? So that's one of the things that I particularly am super excited about. Um, we have a bunch of launch partners that are working with us to develop real applications with real use cases, real enterprise-grade use cases based on AVP. And what seems to be emerging is there's about four design patterns that we were still hashing out. So like it's too early for me to like go into any level of detail, but we're still hashing them out. And uh, so we're going to have design patterns for authorization uh, uh, access controls, for how to define access controls in Cedar. And I think that's going to add a lot of uh, that agility to people developing these types of applications that are like multi-tenant uh, role-based access control applications and other various kinds of use cases that we might have. Um, they're, they're going to have a way easier time once we finalize these design patterns and we put forth resources to, to help builders with that. Yeah, listeners listening in the future, um, congratulations on being in the future. When we have the links to these design <laughs> patterns, we'll put them in the show notes for you so you can find them. Um, do you have any other resources that are available to developers so they can learn more about Amazon Verified Permissions and Cedar or other things that you're working on? Well, I think the first place to go is cedarpolicy.com. Like there's a tutorial there and an interactive playground and uh, you get a really a pretty good sense of what the language can do. 
in there. And um, there's a workshop, an AVP workshop. Um, I can't, what else do you know about, Kevin? Yeah, so we, we can include a list of links of yeah. some of the major videos uh, that we've created to you know introduce the service, give you a deeper background into Cedar. In fact, reInvent from 2022, when we, when we first started talking about uh, Cedar and, and, and you know, coming out with early versions of it, uh, you actually see like some of the mathematicians uh, <laughs> get up there and talk about it. Super interesting. We'll, we'll include some of those videos in the links. Um, it really gives you a great background. We, I, I can't do it justice from this side. Um, but indeed, uh, when we first released verified permissions, what the service could do, you know, these will all help you get up and running. And then likewise, Victor mentioned, uh, we have a, a dedicated workshop um, that we can include the link to. And there are also embedded workshops in other types of services. So like in uh, serverless uh, infrastructure, uh, they have a security workshop and uh, verified permissions uh, has, has a, a, a giant space there. Perfect. I love to hear that there's mathematician content about this. I don't think I'm the only closeted math major at this company for sure. So it's always good to see others popping out of the woodworks. Indeed. It, it, it's... Uh, it, it, you can really geek out on these things. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. That's the invitation I needed. <laughs> <laughs> what has you all excited for what's next? Where do you see permissions in the cloud space and how developers are you know, interacting with all of these services as we move? You know, we're at we're post reinvent right now when we're recording this. Everyone's feeling the holidays. What has got Victor and Kevin excited for 2024? And what do I need to think about as a developer within this space moving forward? Victor, you want to take that first? I'm, I'm, I'm chomping one, a bit. I got a couple things. <laughs> yeah, one thing, I mean, this is pure conjecture and this might not age well, but the one thing that I'm excited about seeing how it evolves is how different uh, uh, concerns in application development, like for example, access controls is one of the concerns in application development, can right. get broken up like this. And then how LLMs are going to be like at the intersection of all these things, helping yeah. to accelerate development of everything. And that the history of, of, of software development has been like that all along. Basically, if you look at it, like back in the day, we used to, like, whenever you wanted to ship software, you used to have to write device drivers for, like, a bunch of video cards. Like, if you wanted to ship a game, that's, like, you had to do oh, that. Yeah. We created abstractions like Direct uh, 3D and OpenGL, and then we've basically been making it easier and easier for builders to build and focus on the thing that they want to build. And I think that's uh, a new frontier that, that we're about to to unlock with uh, building uh, service-side code. LLMs and breaking up the, the various concerns like identity with, with Cognito, access controls with Amazon verified permission, and so on. So for, for me, I, I've got a couple of things. Uh, the litany of use cases that have come up that I never even thought of before, and, and maybe the, the primary one that really you know, uh, makes me sit up and take attention, uh, privacy filters and privacy guardrails. Now, we think about GDPR and, uh, and, and privacy restrictions, but this stuff's coming to other you know, many more countries, and it's even coming to individual states. So when you query a database for this user data, you know, the response is going to be different or it should be different if the user exists in California or Colorado, even Iowa. All these states have different privacy regulations that are going live. They either already have or they are in the next couple of years. And, and this is coming to a state near you. Uh, now, for a developer to try and manage this, incredibly difficult, right? We, we want developers to focus on 
creating delightful, you know, user experiences. Uh, But instead, they're having to read sort of, you know, guidelines and legislation. And we want to take away all that complexity, be able to abstract that, and we'll create the filters. We create the guardware rails with verified permissions so that when you make a request, we can already figure it out and filter out some of those components. Uh, So we built some really cool use cases around that. And so uh, the, the other thing that's uh, really, really got me going, we're working on a lot of innovative mechanisms, uh, some may be released by the time you hear this, uh, to execute policies in remote applications, where we download policies to your app to reduce latency, improve performance, completely reduce runtime costs, and enable you to run anywhere, whether it's an AWS, multi-cloud, on-premises, even in disconnected environments. If you're in a plane, you know, north of the the Arctic Circle, uh, in a submarine or forward operating base, like this, then it opens up so many different use cases and capabilities. Thank you so much for joining us, though. I think this has given a lot of developers, myself included, a lot of things to think about when it comes to, like, I'll be honest, I don't spend a lot of time currently thinking about this stuff, but I realize how important it is. I go into a frenzy when I'm doing a demo or something. I need to actually make (laughs) correct code for once, not little toy products that I do for different things. But I'm really excited to dig into this more. And I think especially what you're talking about, about the bright futures ahead and even the inflection point we're at when it comes to the role of AI emerging in this space is super interesting. And I'm really excited to see not just the use cases that you were talking about before, but how this is all going to pan out through to 2024. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And hopefully we'll have you back on the pod next year when you have some new bright and shiny releases as well. Thank you. Ooh, I I accept. (laughs) Where where can we find you online if uh, folks want to connect or they want to find out more information about IAM? For me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. Um, Victor Moreno on LinkedIn. For me, I can be contacted through LinkedIn. Um, it, if you reach out to your AWS account manager, they can connect you with you know myself or the larger Cedar Verified Permission Service teams, and we can actually help you you know help design some of these low latency, high performance architectures, design design like scalable policy structures and such, um, and really think about even policy lifecycle management uh, because this stuff is all new. So everyone's kind of got their training wheels on at this point. Yeah, which means it's a great time to learn. Right on. <laughs> Exactly. Stay ahead of the curve. Exactly. And, you know, security and permissions within the cloud, it's such a complex concept. You know, it's it, it can trip you up and you all are trying to make it as simple as possible for customers. So I, I super appreciate that. This will probably wind up being the last episode for the year. So I think this is like a great way. And thank you for Brooke for co-hosting. I think this is a great thing to think about as a developer moving in. I love that you mentioned LLMs and everything else we need to think about as far as data and permission. And really, you know, I, I think moving forward, this is such an important concept for developers. So I appreciate both of you for, for taking this time, especially uh, post reInvent. So thank you. Super happy to be Wonderful. here. Thank you. Brooke, you got to do the bye. Bye. I was about to do it. And then <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt the natural. Do it. Bye.